This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 130 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Ask the Vet. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Our title sponsor is Omega Alpha. You can find them at omegaalpha.ca. This episode is also sponsored by Equestrian Collections online at equestriancollections.com. Plus Uncle Jimmy's. And you can find them online at uncle-jimmies.com. This is Helena B. And this is Jennifer. And you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Good morning, my old friend. <laughs> Do you notice I got that after you said your name? I, I knew instinctively that I was supposed to say mine next. <laughs> I know. that We're really getting this, aren't we? Finally. <laughs> <laughs> usually, well, usually it's a case of, yo, Jen, it's your turn now. I know, I know, I know. Well, you know, we just spent a couple of days together, so we're kind of in the Helena and Jen groove. That's it. It'll wear off. I know, I know. Like tomorrow or in like 10 minutes. <laughs> in 10 minutes, yeah. As soon as, as, soon as I have lunch and fall asleep. <laughs> I just had lunch. Just hopefully oh. this conversation will keep me awake. Yeah, what, but, what did um, you have? We, I had, I had a really nice little trail mix, some applesauce, and some water. It was kind of like a snack lunch. Yeah, you had a snack. Yeah, that's what you have to have when you have the you know early in the day recording. Yeah, I'll have a meatball hero later. Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, with cheese on top, pizza. Uh, we double, are double meat. <laughs> with <Sorry>. double meat. <laughs> double meat, okay. please. I'll shut, I'll shut up right. now. <laughs> Wait, Glenn's nowhere to be found, and here you and I are talking about food. Yep. So, you know, Jen and I get together every now and again to do these episodes, and this is the fun stuff. We can talk about uh, equine health topics until we're blue in the face, and the Ask the Vet episode is a great one for us, and especially these two topics, because what we're going to talk with Dr. Brian Parrott about today uh, are two things that our listeners had actually requested we discuss. But they're also things that Jen and I both have experience with. Um, the first one is something called polysaccharide storage myopathy, also known as PSSM. And the other thing we're going to talk about are ulcers in horses, which are ubiquitous these days, especially in our stall-bound friends. So uh, we're going to pick Dr. Parrott's brain about these two things. We'll spend the first half of the today's episode talking about PSSM and the second half talking about ulcers. Now, we're not going to be able to touch on everything about these two uh, disorders, but we can at least get the discussion going. What do you think, Jen? I'm ready to rock and roll. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready because I have some strong opinions about that whole ulcer subject, so I'm ready. <laughs> you Oh, okay. All right. Well, let's see what Dr. Parrott has to say, and we'll get him on the line right here. Welcome, Dr. Parrott, once again to the Stable Scoop Radio Show. Thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me again. It's we're going to talk about um, the first part of our show. We're going to talk about something that our listeners have requested, uh, and that is known. One of the names it's known by is polystor- polysaccharide storage myopathy (PSSM), sometimes also known as EPSM. Uh, can you tell us briefly what it is? What's the Reader's Digest version of this disorder, um, and, and what do we know about it so far? Well, quite a bit of information has been found out about it. There are two leading researchers, uh, a Beth Valentine out of the University of Oregon and a Stephanie Valberg out of the 
uh, University of Minnesota, and both researchers and their groups have been able to um, elucidate um, the, uh, disorders in many breeds of horses, and EPSM, uh, which was originally seen early on by uh, Beth Valentine, um, has has been um, also called PFSM. Um, there are some slight differences because there are uh, different uh, breed differences. So we see this, these disorders, the muscle um, disorders, um, in different uh, in different breeds, and so it presents itself sometimes differently. Uh, the end result being a significant uh, muscle disorder, and it's associated with the accumulation of um, uh, of um, glycogen in the horse's muscles. And so the clinical signs that we see is, is are somewhat similar, but some somewhat different between species. I mean, between breeds. Now, the glycogen would would that be a byproduct of sugars? Uh, it is. Uh, glycogen is a um, is a storage form of sugar in okay. in cells, and uh, muscle cells um, accumulate a fair amount of those to be used. It's a stored energy source for muscles. Okay, and so uh, so we've got these horses who are their their bodies are processing and breaking down sugars, and this condition is essentially a dysfunction of their muscle cells to process or to, to fully break down or use the glycogen. Is that right? Uh, Close? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And what, how does it manifest itself? Why is it a problem? Um, it's a problem. Uh, the, the, what we're finding is that the, the, the real underlying problem is being able to, uh, to break it down properly and to be able to use it. So it gets stored, but it is not being utilized completely. And there is a, we're finding that there is an um, enzyme that uh, is normal, uh, normally there that is missing in these horses. Um, the enzyme, that, uh, which is a protein which um, is uh, a genetically linked um, defect uh, that this protein is missing, that uh, allows it to be broken down. Yes. Jen, do you have a question? Yeah. I have about four million. <laughs> I'm writing them all down furiously. You're being too quiet. I said she's over there making a list, that little bugger. Couldn't hear my pencil scratching on the paper. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to keep it as simple as possible because I could just go on and on and on, and then people are going to get confused about some of the things, so I'm going to try to answer, answer them. Dr. Parrott, you know we're all science weenies here. <laughs> so... Let me see if I'm getting this right. There is a genetic component to this because you mentioned that there are differences in the disease in different breeds. Am I right there? That is correct. There's a genetic component. And in the case of both PSSM and EPSM, um, it's an issue with whatever genetic fault is there with these enzymes doing their jobs properly. Am I right there? That is correct. Okay. So... What are some of the breeds we see this? Um, is it technically a disease or a syndrome? It, this is a syndrome. Because uh, it's not a disease because they can't catch it. They're either born with it or they're not, right? Yeah, and, and there's a, you know, the distinction between syndromes and diseases. Um, this is a, uh, uh, it's been called a muscle disease, but it's, it's a, basically it's a syndrome because there's many clinical signs that produce um, 
um, a, a dysfunction in the horse's ability mm-hmm. to use his muscles correctly. So, we so see okay, signs such as tying up syndrome. Yeah. So where did we see it first, and where are we seeing it now, breed wise? Right. Um, uh, we saw it across the board. Um, we saw it in, in groups of horses like um, draft horses as losing their mus- uh, a symmetrical uh, musculature of their top line, so their butt muscles and their back and, 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 and neck muscles. And it was confusing why these horses were, um, uh, were developing that when they had adequate fat on their bodies and, and, and things like that. And it led to these horses tiring and not being able to really use themselves, reluctant to do their normal work. And then we saw another group of horses, uh, coat of horses, so forth, um, that would uh, tie up um, or develop shivers. Um, and these horses maintained their normal musculature appearance. Uh, some of them were fat as well. And, um, but they would have this tying up-like syndrome. So those are, and so in, in some breeds, um, uh, we're, um, we're seeing that they're having some muscle wasting, such as the draft horses, but in quarter horses, we're not seeing that as much. And so um, basically, PSSM is a muscle disease in horses with quarter horse bloodlines, such as the quarter horses, the American paint horses, and the Appaloosas. And... Um, the AQHA has funded the research in, uh, into this disease, and since 1995, is you know has has provided a, a tremendous amount of money and opportunity for uh, Dr. Valberg's uh, association, uh, her group, to research this. We have um, these these two research scientists that are they're really focusing on this this these syndromes or syndrome. Um, We've got the draft horses and we've got the, the quarter horse and, and quarter horse breeds. How do you, um, there's so, the, the, the symptoms or the, the clinical signs of this problem can mean, I mean, it's just like, you know, fever and nausea. It could be anything, you know. So how a horse presents with these symptoms, it could be anything. How would an owner go about, or how would a vet even What's a red flag? You know, we have okay, tying well, up, we have shivers. What are the red flags that we're looking for? Good. It's Besides breed. Well, it's, it, it generally is, is a, a performance change. A horse's uh, performance is poor. And they start to see things associated with that performance, you know, the, um, the lack of, uh, you know, interest in moving. You say, boy, it's very, very vague. Or this, uh, you know, muscle wasting as in some breeds. So, again, um, many of the clinical signs... Um, seen in quarter horses um, in re- related breeds are different from those of the draft and draft crosses. So the signs in draft, draft crosses and warm bloods might include um, muscle soreness, a reluctance to engage the hindquarters, um, muscle atrophy, weakness, uh, difficulty in backing up or in picking up their feet. There are signs of tying up um, race, uh, racing quarter horses, thoroughbreds, standardbreds, Arabians uh, can, 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 can basically have recurrent exertional rhabdomyolysis tying up syndrome. Um, there, in, in these breeds, the accumulation of abnormal saccharides is, is almost, uh, or uh, polysaccharides, the glycogen and so forth, uh, are rarely present. So I'm um, Reading this pretty much from Dr. Valberg's description of, of, of on her website, 
And those are the distinctive differences between these diseases and what these um, the presenting signs are. That's pretty much it in a nutshell. So I could go back and try to make that more simple if you want. Um, I, you know, I have to tell a quick story because this is sure. actually part of how you and I came to know each other when my quarter horse a couple of years ago was showing signs of uh, reluctance to, to move forward. Uh, right. We thought he was tying up. We, there were uh, just a million things that, we, that could have been going on. This, this poor horse was tested for everything under the sun. Um, and except, the arthritis in his elbow. except for the arthritis in his elbow, which is what it turned out to be. <laughs> yeah, so that's a whole other show. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, that's exactly the situation here is that you have a performance issue and problems. And so you, you say, you know, what's going on? And, of course, these things can be very difficult to establish. And your horse was, um, you know, at, at one level it was very difficult because they – they, they they didn't recognize the severe arthritis, right? But so. they but one of the things that we did, um, there was blood work done to rule out tying up. Right. There was um, blood work, or actually, what we the next step was to do a muscle biopsy, which was right. a, a good sized chunk of muscle taken out of his hindquarters. Um, it was it was essentially you know field surgery. It, it was no small thing. But at the time, it was this was this will provide a definitive diagnosis. And interestingly enough, when we got the results back from Dr. Valentine's lab, because or no, we we actually sent it to University of Minnesota. When we got the results That's back right. from Melbourne, yep. from there, the uh, <laughs> it was sort wow. of inclusive. I think we we were like the only inconclusive results in the history of this this syndrome. But um, where am I going with this? There is an easier way now to determine whether or not yeah. your horse has this, isn't there? That there is. There's now a genetic test that the uh, Valberg group uh, has, has developed to um, uh, test for PSSM in horses. It's, um, and it's a DNA test and very easy to sample. We don't have to uh, use the muscle first off. But, um, so muscle biopsying is uh, one, um, one test that's still performed but we usually start off with the genetic testing first and then go to muscle biopsies as opposed to the other way around a muscle biopsy and then, and then genetic testing. So at least we have two samples to, to compare. Right. Because okay. there still are, you know, disease entities that, you know, may not be these. So, again, it's not quick and easy to determine the SSM, EPSM, um, uh, horses that are tying up uh, routinely, HYPP, which is very inherent in, uh, in the quarter horse breed. Um, there are a number of um, muscular disorders or musculoskeletal disorders that um, are, have some similarity and have to be made, the distinctions have to be made. And so um, fortunately, we, you know, we're recognizing that there are a number of diseases that can be similar. Equine, uh, uh, equine protozoa myelitis, EPM, can also be something to try to differentiate from in this whole thing and uh, in these whole muscular, neuromuscular disorders, as well as um, um, diseases like um, equine motor neuron disease, which has um, been thought to be associated with vitamin E deficiency. So we're looking at a whole group of, of unusual 
diseases with some crossover in clinical signs. And the clients are becoming more and more aware of these different, the different ones because we're seeing it as breed predispositions, predilections. And uh, now, um, we're, as veterinarians, we're having to, um, you know, try to describe the subtle differences between these and how to, you know, to simply make a distinction in if there's a, a cure or um, a cure or at least a treatment to help these horses. Okay. I have a list now of one, two, three, four, six different disease acronyms in here. You've just <laughs> sent most of our listening audience into a panic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm good for the business, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, there we go. Um, of course, I have scribbled down a whole bunch more questions. Most of these are really easy answers. Okay. So it's genetic. We find it in quarter horse and quarter horse related breeds and draft breeds. So it is unknown to occur in a closed breed registry, for example, a purebred Arabian or a purebred saddlebred? No, truly in pure breeds. Okay, so it's it's genetic, but they're not sure where the genetics started. It's just going on. Correct. That is correct. Okay. They don't they don't know what caused the now is it because we can test for it now and people are a lot more likely to take a horse that has this type of um, presenting symptoms and figure the problem out and move on versus maybe 20 or 30 years ago when nobody ever heard of EPSM or PSSM, that same set of circumstances would have just re- resulted in a horse that was either um, retired or turned out or put down. Do you think that maybe is related to it? Oh, absolutely. You've, you've, you're articulating that completely uh, so well. Uh, that's exactly what's happened. And some of these disorders have, um, they, they weren't necessarily all there in as high a frequency, but because they weren't able to be identified, um, you know, some of these horses that were not uh, good performers were bred, and then they started to spread these diseases around. So not only did you retire them um, or euthanize them, a lot of them, if they're mares or stallions, because some of these developed not when they were young, but as they're um, middle-aged. So some of these racehorses were high-performance animals as a youngster, but then be- developed these disorders. Um, and because they had a successful past or they're just available for, you know, mm-hmm. uh, producing, uh, producing genetics, um, they were used for that. And, that. and that leads to the increased frequency of seeing the disease. So at one time, these were less frequent, and now they're much more frequent. The other part, the other part of that, which you touched on, is, you know, they were euthanized uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Horses um, were, were turned over. Um, they were mm. farmed a lot more. Uh, and prior to 20 or 30 years ago, they were farmed a lot and turned over a lot more. When they weren't performing, they were gotten rid of, and there was easier avenues for that to occur as part of the industry. And now we're seeing a, a change in how uh, you know, the the ownership and the management of horses across the board. So uh, horses are being treated much more like pet animals and farmed a lot less. And so it it really is a, a double-edged sword, though, because on one right. hand, an animal is given the opportunity for treatment more frequently, but on the other hand, the commercialization of breeding operations, whatever breed it is putting horses to the breeding shed, mares and stallions alike, earlier in their careers doesn't give us the opportunity to weed out that genetic 
predisposition as comfortably. Very, very well said. Right. Absolutely, and, yes. And we're treating. I think them I've got it now. And we're keeping them alive longer and giving them the opportunity to pass those genetics on. Yeah. So whereas we, they may have been put down or euthanized in the past, essentially, you know, stopping that disorder from getting back into the gene pool, we're keeping them alive, we're breeding them, and we're re-contributing to the gene pool. We can. And then now that we're able to recognize that we're uh, we're actually able to... um, treat them at some level, sometimes not completely successfully, but partially successfully, so the horse has a continued useful uh, life, uh, a more, uh, you know, a non-painful uh, existence, so they can be used at a lower level, maybe, uh, or, at, you know, and, and so the owners are more, re- uh, you're seen dealing with it a lot more because, or I'm seen dealing with it a lot more because we can we can work with it. We can change their diets and have them improve significantly and have a decent quality of life and non-painful stress, uh, stress one. So people are keeping them around a lot more. So in terms of a decent quality of life, what is the gold standard for addressing this syndrome in your horse? What's our, what are our treatment options today? Uh, we found that the, the, the most significant treatment option is diet. Uh, we found that this is... Um, uh, is a storage uh, disease, um, storage syndrome um, of, of energy into primarily muscle cells. And by altering the types of diets, we're able to alter the, uh, the, the, uh, the, that whole process. So the, essentially the treatment, once this has been established as a disease, is a um, high-fat, low, simple carbohydrate diet. And um, they're changed from uh, grass haze, um, sweet feeds, simple sugar diets, to uh, higher protein and higher fat diets. And that makes a huge difference in some of these horses. And there's varying degrees of how the disease presents itself. Some, some are mild and some are severe. The milder ones are much more amenable to the dietary changes and have a more normal life, the severe cases you know, um, uh, the, even changing the diet doesn't always uh, completely um, give them a decent quality of life. Okay. Well, I, I'm going to suggest that uh, we're going to post links to more information about EPSM and PSSM at StableScoop.com, including information about how you can um, log on to both Dr. Valberg's and right. Dr. Valentine's. The, Univers- the University of Minnesota Equine Center. Um, we'll, we'll- the polysaccharide storage myopathy is uh, an excellent link to get information. That's probably your, your your best resource, and it's it's there for public viewing. Right, and you know, interestingly enough, there's actually a Facebook page. Uh, it's it's titled EPSM PSSM and horses, and there's an ongoing discussion um, from people, horse owners, and um, other contributors. So that's that's also something that. Uh, it's, it's nice to see that there's a conversation going on about this. The other, um, we're, we're going to need to take a quick break and hear from one of our sponsors. And then we're going to be right back with Dr. Brian Parrott to talk about ulcers. Ugh. We'll be right back. Uh-huh. 
Omega Alpha Pharmaceuticals creates only natural health products. Their scientists, guided by Dr. Gordon Chang, formulate a wide variety of mainly herbal health products to address many equine health problems. And one of their users is international Canadian sensation event writer Jessica Phoenix. And we have Jessica on here for a second to tell us what she thinks about Omega Alpha. Well, hi, Jess. I hear that you use Omega Alpha. I do. I love their products. I've started using them this year, um, and the one product that I really love is Anti-Flam. It just takes the sting out of the horse's feet and keeps them moving comfortably. Um, and I know that from using it in our barn, a lot of horses have benefited from it. You can look for their products at retailers nationwide or visit their website at omegaalpha.ca. That's omegaalpha.ca. And we're back with Dr. Brian Parrott on the Stable Scoop Radio Show. We are going to talk now in the second half of the show about ulcers in horses, something that um, unfortunately seems to be fairly prevalent, especially in horses who are stalled. Uh, and those of, anybody who's owned an off-track thoroughbred knows very well what ulcers can do. So, um, Dr. Parrott, I, I, am, am I right in saying that um, ulcers are, are appearing in, in stall-bound horses? I mean, they, they can appear in any kind of horse, can't they? But they seem to be more prevalent in those that are uh, stabled. Yes. Um, stomach ulcers um, are common in, in horses, and it's um, really associated with the uh, changes that people have um, uh, caused horses to to live in. So we have taken horses out of the their natural environments where they're foraging all day long, and um, herd-bound um, uh, foraging animals to uh, living somewhat separated, um, uh, asking them to do work and changing the diet significantly. Um, uh, keeping them as individuals as well uh, as opposed to herd animals. So those are all factors that, because of those changes that we have put to them, you know, in their lifestyles and environment, um, has increased the uh, risk of um, developing ulcers. So all horses are subject to them, and uh, we see them commonly. Hmm. Now, one of the things that I heard while at a, a trade show recently was that, um, and it was probably by somebody who was selling a product that was going to be the answer to ulcers. Um, <laughs> I know I, the, it's how we feed our horses. And, what, you know, I've always read and have always been told that because horses are grazing animals and we now feed them um, in chunks, we feed them large amounts over, you know, we feed them grain and hay in the morning and then maybe somebody gets lunch, but usually they get sort of a big feeding in the evening and their stomachs spend a fair amount of the day empty in which their stomach acids can, can build up and start to affect, negatively affect the stomach lining. So, of course, this person who was selling something at the trade show said, you know, really, I- ideally you want a little bit of food, something in their stomach all day long. That's right. Is is that an accurate statement? Will that kind of uh, feeding regimen help to prevent ulcers? Um, yes, um, at, at some level, understanding that you know horses uh, horses stomachs um, uh, are carry only about ten percent of the capacity of their uh, intestines, um, small intestines, and when you so when they eat, they should only eat small amounts. Um, 
they produce um, acid all day long, and so and the acid is, um, you know, uh, is is part of their genetic makeup, where they're um, is designed for high roughage diets. So the acids are to break down the heavy um, roughage materials that they eat, and so when you um, have an environment that produces a lot of acid, uh, small volume, um, you can increase the chances of stomach ulcers by um, not feeding them so there's nothing for the acids to work on. Um, and it can happen fairly rapidly because there's such a small volume in the stomach to begin with um, of food. So horses really need to eat throughout the day small amounts to um, utilize the acids that are being produced and to minimize the risk of those acids uh, working away at the stomach lining um, when there is not food. Okay. You've, you've just perked my first question. Great. I warned you ahead of time that I'm, an, I'm big on this <laughs> ulcer thing. What's small amount? Um, a small amount would be, you know, uh, talking about a pound or two of, of food at any given time. So, um, you, and, and that's weight. So, you know, um, uh, half a flake of hay um, hourly uh, to, you know, a flake of hay every few hours is, okay. is, is good. They, they can so if forge I, away at that. If I extrapolate that and they get a <laughs> pound of hay every hour, mm-hmm. okay, an average flake of hay weighs about three pounds? Yeah. If you're lucky. Yeah. If you're lucky. Yeah. yeah. And so that means say, your horse is eating for three hours out of every 24. Well, uh, there you go. And most horses are on four to six flakes of hay a day. Um, the the recommendations in general uh, have been like 15 to 20 pounds for an average-sized horse of hay in a day. If you feed all of that at once uh, and horses consume, you know, it, it, they, some horses eat faster than others. They can eat it all up in a matter of three hours. I.e. mine. Yeah. I.e. every horse I've ever met. I know. Right. Piggies. <laughs> yeah, so there are some horses there that just their behavior is a little bit different. Their eating habits are a little bit different. So um, uh, you have to take that into account as well. So, so uh, a, a half a flake a day. Uh, so basically if they were to eat uh, in a course of 24 hours, 24 pounds of food, that's that's about what we're feeding most average horses We're between the amounts of grain and hay that they're being fed in their diet. So about a pound of food uh, an hour, it would be, uh, would be good. So if you, so I'm, I'm, again, I'm doing the math here. Yeah. So if I give my horse 24 pounds of hay in a day, right. regardless of whether it's not, it's in one big heap or lots of little heaps, that's about a half a bale of hay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, most horses, most people I see feeding their horse, they're way below that because they give them four flakes, and the and the bale has way more than eight flakes in it. Right. Because not, you know, let's be honest about it. What percentage of horse people actually weigh their hay? Please, everybody, weigh your hay. Yeah, point five percent. And then let's say he's not a horse that works hard, and he's a warm blood, so he's an easy keeper. So he only gets four pounds of grain a day. Right. What I find. And this is, I have a tendency to, to harp on the um, management aspect of this problem because I am completely convinced that it's management 98% of the time that's causing the problem. Um, 
what's why don't we give the horse 40 pounds of hay if he wants to eat it? Right. Um, uh, basically, um, uh, the concern about wastage and obesity, uh, they, they, some horses can um, eat too much, simple, as simple as that, and just get overly fat. So they, some horses have a tendency to accumulate a lot of thoroughbred. Um, their metabolisms are different than a draft horse. So relatively speaking, you have to be... So if you your know, horse is oh. getting 15 pounds of grain a day and 24 pounds of hay... Is there medically some reason you couldn't give reduce his grain intake pound for pound and start increasing the hay intake? Well, yes, and uh, certainly the problems associated with ulcers uh, increase with increased concentrated diets of um, the the um, higher um, load of concentrated grains seems to stimulate increased acid production, um, which after they've digested that doesn't really slow down it continues to be produced mm. ah, interesting. so you have increased acidity associated with certain diets and certainly the roughage diet absorbs a lot needs a lot of acid but it doesn't really stimulate high high levels of of it as compared to some of the foodstuffs associated with concentrated grain Let's, you know, I, one of my horses is a half Arab who has turned out to be a very easy keeper and seems to get fat on air. And Jen, you know, I actually took that path and said, okay, we're, we're, I'm feeding them, you know, so many pounds of hay per day. Yes, I do weigh my hay. Thank you. It's <laughs> something you taught me. Um, and, but what happened was, is, is, you know, Pi was finishing it. He was gobbling it up. So I would give him more. Well, he needs to have something in his stomach. Um, and, but then he got fat, and I thought, well, now I have this problem here. I've got this horse who's finishing his hay. He's gobbling it up. Um, if I give him more, I'm giving him more hay and less grain. I cut back on his grain. He does, you know, he's in great weight. He's actually getting a little pudgy. Let's cut back on the grain. So he's down to next to nothing. I mean, a handful <laughs> just to keep him happy. But uh, at the same time, I'm also feeding a quality hay, so he's getting um, some good calories out of that. But what do I do overnight while I'm home during the day, now a lot of people don't have this this opportunity, I can throw them a flake every hour because I can just run right out to my barn. But at night, they can go, you know, he'll finish his hay and then he's sitting in his stall for eight hours with nothing in his stomach. And that's where, and I remembered the product, was the, the nibble net. It was, it's, it's a hay net or a hay bag that's designed to slow down your horse's feeding habits in the stall or when it's specifically when it comes to hay because they can only take smaller amounts and therefore the hay will last longer. Um, now, if a horse is out 24-7, they, they may still need to use something that slows down their feeding because, again, you put a pile of hay out in front of them. If you've got a piggy horse, he's going to gobble it all up. So what do we think about actually slowing down the feeding process? Well, I think you hit on just a... a incredibly important part of this whole management issue and this, uh, you know, creating, uh, making sure the horses have enough, making sure it's realistic in the, in the management scheme of things of feeding horses. You can't feed them every hour, you know, a bunch of horses and you have a life. Um, and uh, keeping them from becoming obese, individualizing their diet so that the horses can be, you know, be in the optimum level of um, health. And because horses are individuals, you have to take all those things into concern. 
So your questions are um, outstanding, um, and the the dealing with them, um, this company that you're talking about, the NibbleNet, and addressing, you know, the the volume of horses are eating over a period of time is a huge part of this management thing that has to be accomplished. And so, um, yes, is the answer. You want to use that. You do want to allow them to eat throughout the day. You want to limit how much they eat, but at the same time, they need to be able to eat when they want to because it's the acid that drives the hunger um, in, in a lot of the horses. Mm. But there are some horses that are easily obese and eat too much, so if you can at least manage that through uh, de- you know, through a nibble net, uh, through um, a grazing muzzle, when horses are outdoors all the time and they become obese, you say, well, they're great for the ulcers, but terrible for their fat. Um, what do you do? And for these horses that have... Um, genetic problems like EPSM and PSSM that are associated with too high carbohydrates and of course grass haze and grasses uh, are high in sugars in general and certainly seasonal. We want to be able to limit the amount these horses are eating and not develop stomach ulcers. So um, you hit the nail on the head is how do we feed these horses small amounts of roughage, uh, good quality, Low cal- uh, good quality but low calorie roughage so that they don't prevent that. You have to devise mechanisms like you're talking about. Okay. Um, and these are the horses that are out of the normal range. Most horses normally manage themselves pretty well, but there are those groups of horses that uh, get fat easy. All right, we're going to take a, a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors, and then we're going to be back with Dr. Brian Parrott to talk a little bit more about ulcers, uh, how do we diagnose them, and how do we, how, what might we do to treat them. Uh, so stay tuned. We'll be right back. For over a year now, we've been telling you about all the cool things happening at Equestrian Collections and the variety and selection of products they have at fantastic prices. But today, we want to talk to you a little bit about their social networking and what a community they have built on Facebook. If you go to Facebook and search for Equestrian Collections, you're going to find that over 20,000 fans are now following Equestrian Collections on Facebook. And, And the reason is they have a dynamic community built over there. You know, on most store sites, most company sites, on Facebook, we'll just promote product and things like that. That's not what happens on Equestrian Collections. Yeah, there's a little bit of that, but mostly it's the community sharing pictures, talking about stories, asking questions of each other. It's an active, vibrant community, like a little forum right there on Facebook. Search for Equestrian Collections on Facebook or stop over to equestriancollections.com for all of your horse and rider needs. And we're back with Dr. Brian Parrott. Jen, you are... You are just, you got opinions. You got opinions. Living in Kentucky, how many horses would you say are on Ulcer Guard right now? Too many. Way, 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 way too many. <laughs> it's, well, there's you a know, lot of pressure here. You know, it's either a racehorse, you know, those guys, once they go down that road of heavy race training, um, it's just nearly impossible to get them to eat what they should. And then you have the pressure of horses being prepped for sale, where they have to look a certain way within a very short period of time. Again, they frequently lose their appetites. So that part of the industry, and I'm sure it happens in areas where there's a high volume of other breeds as well. If you go to a, a place in the country where there's quarter horses that have that same density of 
of um, operations that we do here. It's just, it's, it's like handing out candy almost. It's just incredible the number of animals that are getting it. And I'm sure a very good number of them should be getting of it. But you'd see people walk in and they're just buying it, what seems to be willy-nilly. And right. am, I, am I saying the name of the chemical right? Is it omeprazole? Uh, omeprazole. Omeprazole. How, how, when, and why should that be used? Because I think there's a little confusion there. Um, if I remember right, ulcer guard and ulcer, what's the other one? There's two. Yeah. Gastroguard. 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 It's the same chemical in there. And maybe you could clear up for the listeners and myself as well, because it's awfully darn confusing what it is, what it does, and how we're, we should be using it properly. Very good. Uh, Gastroguard and UlcerGuard are the same medication. They are uh, named differently because Gastroguard is essentially made um, is a is a product a proprietary product from Mariel, which is designed to be used as a treatment for ulcers. Those are existing ulcers in a horse. UlcerGuard is um, the same product, but it is formulated so that um, it is for the prevention of ulcers, not the treatment, but to help prevent ulcers from developing. And so um, the the, the two products are essentially the same because um, of the chemical, but they're labeled differently on the tube. Um, UlcerGuard is a one-quarter dose of the gastroguard dose, and so you can use either gastroguard or ulcerguard, um, and based upon how they incrementally adjust the, um, the the measurement device on the on the plunger, is is um, either a full dose, which is gastroguard, or a full dose of ulcerguard, which is a quarter of a dose of gastroguard. Okay, so let me see if I've got it right, Doctor Parrot. Um, because I confuse easily, especially on the radio, and I can't see you. <laughs> I have my veterinarian look at my horse, and he scopes the horse, and we come to the conclusion that he has a low-grade ulcer. Right. And we need to fix this. So what, it doesn't matter which of the two products I give the horse. If I give it to the horse in the appropriate dosage, it will, quote, cure the ulcer. It will fix it if I give it in the right amount in the appropriate amount of time, according to my veterinarian. That is exactly correct. Okay, I've got that part. So step one. Now, step two is I frequently see people giving their horse the don't let your horse get an ulcer dosage, that smaller one. Right. Without ever having the horse scoped to confirm whether or not he does have one. So worst case scenario, you periodically buy those tubes and you give him the small dose so he doesn't get an ulcer but he does have one, maybe even a serious one. What kind of health disservice are we doing to our horses by using the product that way? Well, you're not, you're not helping the horse cure the underlying problem. You're probably helping it. So you're not doing the worst disservice, you're, but you're, uh, you're not um, allowing the horse to really optimize their health because if he's got a, a raw spot, spot that's potentially bleeding in his stomach, um, you may be helping it with a smaller dose, but you're not curing it and letting it heal. So that per- problem persists. And mm. if you go off the guard, which is often the case, you're using it for a short period of time because there's uh, situations in 
which um, they may want to use it for. They're going to a horse show, they're traveling a lot, or they race, uh, they recently raced. As soon as you stop that, once it's out of their system, which is only within a day or two, um, that ulcer, which has not healed, will just uh, you know, start to erode and get larger or, or worse again. So his, his tummy's going to not hurt as long as you're giving him that low dose, let's say for 10 days, because there's something going on in the world. But as soon as you stop that low dose, that ulcer will, again, if it's going to be a painful one, it will continue to cause that pain and it will continue to perhaps get worse. So it's just this this cycle of severity. It it gets a little bit better and then it gets a lot worse and then it gets a little bit better. And so the horse is never really free from discomfort. It's just it comes in waves. That, that's exactly right. And, um, of course, these horses that have ulcers and are cured, if they have the same lifestyle and the same situations that created the ulcer to begin with, could come back as well. So you're not doing your horse a disservice by not completely curing it. You're, you're helping to treat it if you don't know. But you're, you're not doing as much as you probably could do in certain circumstances. So it would be better to use ulcer guard if you're not sure than not to use it if you think he's got an ulcer. Okay. Here's what I'm hearing from this conversation really loud and really clear that um, really don't don't give your horse anything to treat an ulcer unless you've talked to your vet first. Um, oh, because absolutely. It, it's, it's a, you know, I know a lot of people mean well, but let's face it, the, the stall-bound horse is not going to go away. And, and competitive horses are not going to go away. So there's always going to be a certain amount of stress and anxiety in our horses' lives. But what we can do to stop or slow down the ulcer problem is to pick up the phone, call the vet, and say, I think my horse might have an ulcer. But before we do that, what can you tell us, Dr. Parrott, that will help us make up a list to pick up the phone and say, you know, what signs are we looking for in our horse that say, I need to pick up the phone and call my vet? Right. Well, this is a a big question. uh, They can be simple things as a performance, uh, poor performance, uh, poor doing, weight loss, um, intermittent signs of colic, um, just a decreased appetite, um, or just finicky eating. Um, And it can be as severe as severe colic, uh, signs and repetitive ones, ones that seem to not, um, that are frequent and intermittent. So with that, a lot of people just say, well, why pay for a veterinarian when it's probably this and it won't do any harm by just giving them ulcer guard and you can buy it over the counter now. And so I think the biggest disservice is uh, to the uh, to the client and the horse are uh, stem from one it's very expensive. Ulcer guard or gastric guard is very expensive and you may not be treating the right disease because these clinical signs could be associated with some other disease process. So a lot of people are just jumping to the conclusion that it's an ulcer when it really may be another problem going on altogether. So the um, so they allow the um, real disease to develop, go longer undetected, and they've wasted time and money without it. So veterinarians will certainly help uh, the process of early detection. Are we on the right course? Is this a reasonable thing to do? Um, and ultimately, in the long long run, should um, decrease the overall cost to the owner of the horse 
and to decrease the risk of worsening diseases from other causes. You know, the other thing, too, is i I got to put my own two cents in because um, it's my show. We have, uh, you know, you know your own horse. You, you ride him or her often enough to know their personality. Your trainer might know your horse. And hopefully you've got some barn management. If you board someplace, you've got barn management and staff that regularly assess your horse. And so when something's different, they can keep an eye out for that. I know sometimes... We have a, um, a mare in our barn who uh, just gets sour. All of a sudden, you know, you had said their performance goes down. Well, you know, she's been pinning her ears for strange reasons. Maybe she's a little girthy where she hasn't been girthy before. Um, a loss of coat condition, it, even even muscle condition, right? Right. That you can is, just see an overall loss of thriftiness. That's correct. And so it can be uh, very subtle. And you say, well, is this all ulcers? I guess. This was a um, diagnosis du jour for um, a few years ago. And, of course, it worked in a number of the horses and recognized it truly is a big problem. But at the same time, it became the diagnosis du jour and people forgetting to do the, um, to really ask the veterinarian, could it be something else? And um, that's where it's become. That's the only disservice to making ulcer guard over-the-counter Um where GastroGuard is a prescription item, UlcerGuard is not. And that's uh, the company and the FDA work together to make that happen. And at one level, it, um, it decreases the expense to the owner at, at some level. I'm not quite sure, but I, I know that I'm not so happy that Mariel has done this. I don't think that they've really helped um, the care and management of the horses as much, but that's a that's a big argumentative point. Um, we can get Prilosec over the counter, uh, which is the same drug in humans, um, and uh, that's over the counter. And people are popping those day and night and controlling their acid problems in humans, where the stronger strength um, medication to treat ulcers uh, is still a prescription item. So Mariel has has done this with both the horses as well as um, and completely with federal approval. So I don't know. Just as long as they don't start doing commercials for it. Prilosec <laughs> for horses, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the downfall yeah. of our society. Which, which, leads to a, which leads to a great question. There's been a lot of um, companies out there trying to have uh, gastric guard and ulcer guard um, lookalikes because you can buy a Meprazole um, a generic. Um, wow. Does it work? Does it work? No, it doesn't in horses, okay. and that's because of something that they bind it to for where it's absorbed in this stomach and in the intestine. Yeah, huh? Interesting. Wow, what we are running out of time. Oh, I hate those words, but we are. Uh, Jen, any any uh, last questions for Doctor Parrot on this? Um, about another show's worth. <laughs> <laughs> well, we really could, and these are big subjects to uh, cover, uh, large subjects to cover in a single session, but hopefully that has been somewhat helpful and leads to more questions that can have more discussions. Well, that's exactly the point. And, you know, I, I said to myself, geez, this, you know, PSSM and, and ulcers, we could, that's a couple of shows worth of material there. But yeah. the idea is to just get these questions going in your mind if you're listening to this show and you you either have have no experience with either, either of these conditions or you have lots of experience. We hope that um, either we've answered a few questions or prompted you to go out 
and do a little bit more research because there is a lot of research out there. The most important thing, I think, though, is to pick up the phone and call the vet. Usually there's no charge for that, right, Dr. Perry? Yeah, not in my practice. Okay. So... <laughs> We're going to put links to uh, details about today's discussion at StableScoop.com. And uh, Dr. Parrott has made some recommendations on some websites that have lots of useful information, and we will make that available to you. My great thanks to you, Dr. Parrott, for joining us again on the show. It's always great to have you here. Well, thank you very much. It's, it's really nice to be invited again. Thank you. And uh, we look forward to our next marathon session with you. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you both very much. You're welcome. See ya. Bye. All right. Before we wrap up the show, we're going to take a quick commercial break to hear from one of our other lovely sponsors, and then we'll be back to tell you where you can find more information about today's Ask the Vet episode. Regular listeners to the Stable Scoop show know that Helena and I just love Uncle Jimmy's and his fantastic line of products. His products have the highest quality ingredients, and that is why they have taken off like they have. Of course, it all started with Uncle Jimmy's hanging balls for use in the stalls, and then came squeezy buns. We know you need to reward your horse outside of the stall as well. That is why Uncle Jimmy developed Uncle Jimmy's squeezy buns. Squeezy buns are all natural and loaded with nutritional ingredients for your horse. Unlike similar products on the market, they are individually wrapped to preserve freshness and eliminate mess. With competitive pricing and Uncle Jimmy's quality guarantee, the Squeezy Buns promise to be a hit among horses and horse lovers alike. Learn more about all of Uncle Jimmy's products or to find a dealer, visit uncle-jimmys.com. That's uncle-jimmys.com. All right, Jen, we did it. We finished another marathon Ask the Vet episode. (laughs) I sometimes I kind of feel bad for Dr. Parrott because I, I, I pick on him. I know. No, you don't. I know you do. You do. <laughs> but in a good way. And he's so like, I don't know about you, but I'm sitting in my chair, like twiddling my fingers, sitting on my hands, like <laughs> leaning into my microphone, leaning away. <laughs> well, I definitely lean into the, into the microphone a lot, but it it's so hard because there's it's almost to the point now that there's too much information out there yeah. and it all turns into mud. so it's so nice when you can get a veterinarian one-on-one without his pager going off and without a horse standing at the end of the lead rope fussing that you can get really really pointed with your question yeah and get a really specific answer and then go over it again and go okay is this really what i heard did i get it right because so many times when we see our vets it's oftentimes under duress there's something that's broken that's that's right. Something that's broken, and it, it's attached to something that's wiggling on the end of the cross ties. Right. Yeah. So you you really it's hard to ask questions under those circumstances. It's even harder to remember what the vet said. Yeah, no, that's my problem. I want to have a little recorder. Yeah. So it's it's really so refreshing to have those opportunities, and it's so generous of Doctor Parrott to come on and and let us pick his little brains like that. Indeed. Well, we are, uh, as I said, we're going to uh, make more information about today's discussion available at StableScoop.com. Be sure to log on next Friday for another episode of StableScoop. There's always something interesting to listen to. For details about today's show, go to www.StableScoop.com. As I said, we'll put links, photos, and more information. As always, we love your feedback. So please follow us on Facebook under StableScoop. You can also follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio, and you're always welcome to leave us feedback at our own website, stablescoop.com forward slash contact. 
Many thanks to our sponsors, Equestrian Collections and Uncle Jimmy's Brand Products. Be sure to visit all the great shows on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. Dub, dub, dub. Is that the new, that's the new, the new website speak? <laughs> no, it's actually not new. It's old. It's kind of 1998. Maybe, oh, you know, maybe before two, I discovered what a computer was. Okay. Maybe more, maybe more like 2002. Um, I'm just lazy. Uh, but <laughs> that's it, Jen, for this week. What do you think? Well, I think that's plenty, but there will be more <laughs> next week. All right. We'll see you then.